Okay, thanks TK for joining us today. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. How about uh, just before we like get into things, get into the meat of the conversation, you just give mm -hmm. us a, a little bit of a background about yourself. I know we briefly met, oh, I think it was over at uh, one of the seminars in, in Twickenham, London, uh, a yeah. few years ago now. And uh, we haven't had the, a great opportunity. We've been on the other sides of the world to, uh, to catch up. So really looking forward to this conversation. So how about you just let everyone know uh, who you are and uh, what you've been doing recently? Uh, so name's Terrence Kennel. Everyone calls me TK. Like no one calls no one calls me Terrence except like my mom, pretty much. Uh, strength conditioning coach, strength conditioning rehab coordinator for Houston Astros now. In my second year with the Astros, um, like I said, like we met in my masters at St. Mary's University uh, in, in London. So that's where we met then. And I think you went, you went to Wake Forest like shortly after that, maybe like six or seven months. You went back to America before I did. <laughs> and um yeah so i've been over here now two I'm back over now two years based in west palm beach um it's pretty much it uh played used to play rugby played basketball to my undergrad at arkansas state university where i played rugby out there uh worked in a few different sports uh this is the first time first time in baseball first time i ever worked in baseball with it a baseball fan growing up, like I think I played until I was like twelve or thirteen, and of us, I was pretty shit. And it's just other sports, <laughs> it's just the sports I was a bit better at. That's why we become strength coaches. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've had a pretty pretty interesting journey. Like, obviously, you were working over in, in London, and you were you were heavily involved in the rugby side, uh, mm -hmm. and now you've kind of obviously moved into working in baseball. How have you found that that transition to start with? Uh, I think the biggest difference. The biggest person on like from a transition point of view is just understanding like the different cultures of sports. So like so rugby, the biggest thing you have to worry about usually is getting guys out of the gym and getting them more like like we can run, do speed, like that's the more important factors. Like you'd be like more like to once you reach a professional level of rugby, like you you probably are genetically gifted for the sport, so you probably already have a side. Gym is not as important. And really that's that speed, change of direction. Um, like skills are like way more viable as opposed to like in the baseball, it's tend to be more 50 50. So, some guys who grow up heavily thinking that, oh, if I um, if I lift weights, it'll make me tight or it'll move slow, maybe it'll mess up my swing, or I won't throw as hard. But you have the other side of it where you have guys who do up the exact opposite, where they're like, they just want to get as big and as strong as possible, they hit the ball as far as they can, like they're Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and stuff like that. And so, I think. In baseball, dealing with that, and then also dealing with in terms of like the co of the culture, you have guys who are signed at 17 years old out of Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Panama, Mexico, and at 17 years old they sign and giving three million dollars. <laughs> and so, understanding like that aspect, or having like we had a high with a high school kid who drafted who's who drafted at 18 years old out of high school, never been to college. Um, and we gave him, I don't know how many million dollars we gave him. It was like a first-round draft pick at 18. But like, and so like dealing with those kinds of, dealing with that that kind of culture difference as well. And you have guys on the same team who, one, one's getting paid $2,000 a month. The other one had a sign-in bonus of $4 million. <laughs> like, wow. And, they're, and, they're, and they're, on, they're on the same team. It's still expected to both like perform and care just as much as, as each other. But. I think dealing with those kind of different aspects, uh, it being such a large system, because professional baseball works similar to like an academy style system you see in football and in soccer, in that like you have 
the Houston Astros, which is our main like major league team, and it goes down different levels. So there's like triple A, double A, high A, low A, short season, uh, and then Gulf Coast League down in West down like West Palm. And so it's a huge system of development, and there's just lot lots of cooks in the kitchen essentially. Because you have a hundred there are 150 players or so in the organization. I could be low, it could be low ball. It might actually be a bit higher. But and you have SNC coach at every at every level, an uh, athletic trainer at every level. You know, like your managers, your hitting coach, pitching coach, your first base coach at, at, at every level. So just lots, there's lots of people involved in the machine. So lots of people you can communicate with and things like that. So dealing with like that kind of a large scale system where it's almost like a, it literally is, it's like, it's an organization is a great way, it's a great term for it. That's really what it is. It's like a, it's a giant billion dollar business. And how are you managing that from a, obviously communication standpoint? Like you've got maybe the, the head, head, head strength coach and you've got like rehab coordinator, different coaches around different parts of the country as well. How, yeah. how, how often do you coordinate as a group? Is, are you kind of doing weekly meetings, like bi-weekly, like kind of, Give us a paint a picture. What's that? What does that look like? Um, so in in season, we never we never obviously never ever all together at one time in season, and so just do like weekly like emails, like check up emails from like Dan House, who's like my supervisor, who's our essentially our director of like head of like head of performance, our director of performance. Um, he will send like emails out to to all S and C staff. You have someone in his same position on. The athletic training side, who was there sending emails and they have conference calls. On the SNC side, we don't really do conference calls just because we're all just in season, you're just so busy. Like it's in season, it's 12, 13 hour days. You average one day off every three weeks or so in season because it's a game every day. Yeah, it's a 100, 142 game season in the minor leagues uh, over a span of five months. And then the major leagues, 162 games over a span of like six six months or so. That's not including like playoffs. All right, that's a lot. That's a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of baseball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, luckily, like we are just, like everyone understands that on the SNC side. So we don't do conference calls in season just because it's just not realistic. And they're pulling somebody from something. Someone's gonna be on a bus going somewhere, or someone who just got into another city in the middle of the night, or someone is on is on their off day in like their league. So so. So really, in spring training, which is our preseason, is the only time we're ever all together as a staff for those three, three, three and a half weeks. And then are a lot more of the players together during that point as well, or like because I, I know yeah. nothing really about baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So in in, in preseason, just spring training, as in everyone converge, converges on to West Palm Beach into our like complex. So we'll have like two hundred players probably total. Okay. Uh, at, at the complex, in the minor league side and in the major league side. Nice. So you've got a pretty, almost that whole kind of organism, so to speak, is just kind of, you've got to run your part and everyone else is running their parts. And it just, yeah. it just comes together kind of once a year. And is mm-hmm. that when, do you put the plan together for the rest of the year as a, as a team there? Um, as part of that kind of interdisciplinary team, is that when, they, do you put like the kind of an annual plan out to a degree? Or how does that kind of communication work when you're sitting, like when you're down in West Palm Beach? Uh, so we'll meet, which we'll do like a big meetings as like entire staff, like early January. And then we'll talk about like any updates we're doing, like our programming side, what are some of our thoughts, and people will share what they've learned in the off season. Um, and, but from a program point of view, everyone, like, everyone programs like on their own for their, for their team, for their players. Uh, we have like set, we have like set principles 
that we go off of, but we use a vertical integration model. Uh, everyone does speed, everyone does like conditioning, but like how that kind of looks within your realm and your environment is up, is up to you as a coach. So we give, we allow for that autonomy, which is quite, which is, I've, I've only found this working in baseball, which is apparently quite rare to allow coaches to program and coach. <laughs> um, but so like so we so like we do that and so we just everything's just like principle and like process based. It's never like a hard guideline like this is the program you have to do this. Yeah, I don't care what the situation is. Which just really just just can't be that way because in double A you're dealing with uh, bus rides that are seven hours or longer. Like our longest one was fifteen hours last year. Our shortest one is seven. Uh, in triple A they're flying, but they're flying from like Austin, Texas, like Round Rock to. Tacoma, Washington, over by Seattle, to Vegas, to Reno, to like Oklahoma City, all over the country. You have other teams where they're playing like doing two games in a day and like some of the other leagues. Um, and so it's just everyone just has their own constraints you have to deal with. So because of that, you have to you have to allow that flexibility to have like a good program yep. and kind of be performance minded. So it's allowed that like like I just, like you like you're a coach like you like you're a coach for a reason like because we. We all trust you as a staff to program, but to the players for the players' best in mind, anyway. Yeah, for sure. And so, it's just getting done kind of what you can when you can at the end of the day. You can get a lift in, kind of, I don't know, you're going to use the steps at the stadium to do some jumps yeah. and, and whatever yeah. else, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. You step to the stadium, uh, use ISOs, throw med balls in a hallway, <laughs> like anything you can think of. Yeah. They've done, we've done workout. I've done workouts with pitchers in the in, in a locker room using just like bands or TRX and like a med ball. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, so no, no gym, and it's just essentially just a traveling gym, like whatever you can fit in your bag, and and you're good to go. And that, at the same yeah. time, like in itself, is obviously a new experience. Unless you can't even even if you work in professional tennis, obviously you're on the road a lot of the year, but you generally have some sort of gym at the the facility you'll go to or the yeah. hotel. But in your situation, obviously, you're playing so much, you're almost not, sometimes not even in a hotel, it's just traveling straight to the next game. So as a coach, that makes you, you've just got to be, you've got to be so much more on it and prepared in kind of the equipment you're taking with you and use your imagination. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you use your imagination a lot. Um, you, you fully realize, like, I'm fully about the idea of, like, it's adaptation over exercise. So, like, if we, if we need to get a strength stimulus, they weren't weren't able to go to the Gold's gym in town, so <laughs> I was like, I was like, so what, what we can do? That's like a maximum contraction. We can do ISO holds, ISO push at the bottom, ISO pulls at the top. Like there goes, it's maximum contraction in, in some regard. It's some bit of a strength stimulus. Is, is it ideal? Is it is it ideal? No. Does it get the job done for the time being? Yes. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. It's better that, and I like that as well. Adaptation over exercise. That's it. That's essentially. A, the easiest and simplest way to look at it and if it gets the job yeah. done then it, it, it is what it is you know yeah. so uh moving on like you're doing some pretty cool stuff um down now so you're correct me if i'm wrong your current title is the rehab strength conditioning coordinator yeah so do you want to just talk us through kind of what that looks like on a day-to-day basis and then some of your like rehab protocols and, and the principles mm-hmm. that you've been that you've been using and that you've developed yeah so day-to-day usually like Getting in the morning, me and like our the, the physical therapist, the PT, who's like on the AT side, the rehab coordinator. Like, we'll have a meeting, um, go, go through a list of guys pretty much every day. On, got 17 guys in, in rehab currently. 
uh, people don't know about baseball, like the biggest injury you're gonna have is uh, is Tommy John surgery, which is a complete rupture of the UCL and the elbow. Um, it's not it's not like there's no way you can prevent it. Like <laughs> it's just you know, it happens. Like some guys get it early, some guys never get it, some guys get it late in their career. Like, but it's a very much essentially it's a minimum of a year. I mean, a year for a year or fourteen month like rehab process. Um, anyway, so every baseball team will have anywhere from fifteen to twenty or so guys in that don't fall into that realm. So we have a couple of a couple of Tommy John surgeries, uh, two ACLs, uh, a lateral knee, lateral meniscus. Um, what else? It seems pretty. Uh, one 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 shoulder that is a very rare shoulder injury. Like he like tore like part of his supraspinatus. Like <laughs> it's just. Yeah, yeah, never. Uh, I won't. I won't die. I've never seen him before. But um, yeah. So dealing like, with we'll quite a few. You're dealing with quite a few. Obviously, like the yeah. broadest of range of injuries there. And what are you? What are you doing to try and kind of get the guys back from that? Obviously, what mm-hmm. what principles have you put in place um, to be yeah. able to get everyone and, and run the simplest system? Because you've got guys with loads of different, maybe some quite acute injuries, and then some chronic. Yeah. Like you say, the Tommy Johns is going to take a long time to get back from. How are you fitting all of those different injuries into a template almost that makes it kind of flow nice and easily for the rehab team? Yeah. Uh, I think some, some of what we're working on now is um, I split them into like levels. So like level one is like your restoration life process. And our principle is that's purely just return to normal ranges of motion, passive ranges without pain, um, doing a bit of like <clears throat> isolated, like, t- like loading of the tissue, I talking every day about the pain scale, and it's more that's more of an I mean, AT like physical therapist led on that side because it's been a lot of time in the training room doing things like doing all those kinds of things. And on the SNC side, it becomes more about like training all your healthy limbs because you want to decondition the tissues of the rest of the body. Otherwise, they're bound to just get and get injured somewhere else. Um, so once it's kind of moving past that, like always, just like the the quote I learned from like from Tom Farrell of my time in the UK was like focus on what we can do instead of what we can do. So that's kind of the approach, especially in those early stages. Um, if the player has like some baseline data with some of the metrics that we use, like our force plates, our groin bar, nord board, and stuff like that, they have some that, then we all review that as a staff and see like, like where they're at before they got injured. They, part of their progressions needs to be like, they need to be getting within 10% of like all these numbers. But that, that's like down the line. So before they're ever playing a, a baseball game again, they can be within 10% of maybe counter move and jump, single leg squat, single leg calf, uh, shoulder IRER, uh, hip and abduction strength, Nord board score, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they progress through that, they go into like the preparation, like developmental development side. And that's purely what we're just, we're just now doing up tissue strength. Like we're, we're, that's when we're lift, like we're lifting. We're doing ISOs and eccentrics. We're trying to build up like some like functional capacity, essentially. Um, <clears throat> working on working on any kind of like low level tissue stiffness, so like a little like calf Achilles stiffness if we can. Um, some ham, some like little like hamstring uh, like stiffness, stiffness qualities. If they're not sprinting just yet, but we're mm-hmm. working on all those things. Doing maybe something, do some extensive jumping a little bit. Focus yeah. on like, like a really big absorption focus. All mm-hmm. things that kind. Of, with, within that, are you using yeah. much kind of occlusion training and things? I know um, 
like Sam Portland especially tries to get some occlusion in there as well, um, especially early on. Like I've been yeah. experimenting with it myself. Found it, found it obviously very useful in kind of the situation we're currently in with having like no no training equipment. Um, yeah. do, do you use that, and like how do you incorporate it? Oh yeah, so we use we use we use blood flow restriction from essentially day one, <laughs> if, uh, if if we can. It's like just from a muscle atrophy point of view and trying to alleviate as much as we can and keep as much muscle density as possible. Um, yeah, so it'll be if they're non-move, if, they're, if they can't load that tissue at all and can't, they can't move fully immobile, then we'll, try, then we'll go like DFR and like EMS at the same time. Okay. Um, and until they want to get to a point where like they're able to move, then we'll go be, they'll either go a blood flow restriction as a means of like recovery post post like a full like high day essentially or they'll do a passive BFR like post they'll be passive or active usually on the high days they'll do an active, active BFR it's in just parts of like it's part, part of the training stimulus and then on the low day they'll do a passive BFR where they may, they're, they're just laying there yeah yeah so we'll try we'll, yeah interesting yeah and is that typically led from a like an ATC standpoint or are you getting involved with that more of an SNC standpoint uh, on that on that BFR side, it's more of a slip through our ATCs, but a lot of the research I did while I was at St. Mary's was on, was on BFR and EMS. I thought it was just pretty interesting. Yeah. And so I mean, so, so luckily like, I'm not um, knowledgeable enough anyway to have those conversations with them. Yeah. About it. Not. But they did previously, really. And some, as an idea that I brought to them, showed them some of the research, as I published on it, and then they were okay. They were like, we're down to try it. So that's really nice having having a staff that's like more that's open minded, plays a is it really beneficial on my side? Because yeah. in like professional sports in the U.S., it's I'm sure it's probably similar even at college or at Wake Forest that like the medical side is kind of king. At the end of the day, like if they don't like something that you're doing, like you probably end up having to stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely all about having those open lines of communication. I think, and that's obviously a thing with staffs across the country. Like the more we can yeah. communicate, I, luckily the the trainer I work with, we communicate daily, um, and we try to have as best communication as possible. Obviously, it it, it kind of yeah. has peaks and troughs throughout the season, depending on like how busy they are. Because unfortunately, like in the situation I've got, like the trainer that works with my tennis team has got he works with football as well, oh, so that's kind of the situation. And if I've got my women's just... tennis team, so she's got another two teams, so. There's obviously like different issues in there, but if we can, I think the communication obviously is is the biggest thing. And yeah. um, with the back to the BFR stuff, just briefly, what mm. I found quite interesting coming to the US is typically the BFR in, would like in the UK would be almost it would definitely be coordinated with like the physio, mm. but then almost led through the um, or from my experience, it's almost led through the S and C. Whereas when you come to the U.S., it's led through the kind of the physio slash trainer. And then yeah. once you've kind of hit those markers or whatever, you, whatever your markers may be, then it's kind of passed on to the, um, to the, the strength and conditioning coach. And a big thing that I think gets lost sometimes within this kind of return to play protocol is how do we actually pass the athlete from the trainer to the strength coach? Yeah. Um, now, I know you were kind of talking through the levels there. Maybe we can get, get back into that and say, but how, how do you find that, that, obviously, that pathway going from trainer to strength coach and that kind of bit in the middle where mm. a, lot of, um, a lot of S&C programs, a lot of rehab programs kind of go to die if you don't get that little bit in the middle yeah. just right? I think some of us, that helps like, uh, progressing stages, 
the on the AT side, the athletic trainer, PT side, they have like their own assessments they do, but on like like functional assessments essentially. And that's kind of something that the marketers are then pass on. Like, okay, they're they're full, they're full grow in, in like the weight room or they're full grow on the field. Uh, the big ones like we can get guys full grow in the weight room first <clears throat> by then passing some of the some of the, the closed chain work, stuff like that. The basic functional assessments. Then we're um, then we're then we're good on that end. So then we can get full grow in the weight room. And then if it's growing, in terms of being on the field, that's where it's kind of more. It's more my realm. That's why that's when I look at more like the force plate jumps, the single leg squats, single leg calf, things like that. Looking for any asymmetries or like places where they're weak at, and and comparing that to their baseline data. So I think having on that trainer side, then having that kind of set of like, a, even if it had to be extensive by any means, if it's just like two or three kind of like functional assessments, if you will, you know, like that, I think that kind of help and that make objectifying that process. Yep. And do you find? I know you use the word like full go. And then yeah. my experiences with sometimes with some physios have been, oh yeah, they're, they're full go. They can go back to rugby. And I just like said, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. like, you're, you're full go. Like you finished your kind of, or you've passed your maybe KPIs or whatever it's going to be or your mm -hmm. indicators within the physio kind of treatment realm. Now yeah. you've got to pass your KPIs within kind of the sports performance, strength conditioning kind of weight room yeah. realm. And high, maybe you've got to hit some like high speed numbers or whatever it's going to be if it's a hamstring mm. injury or, or whatever before mm. you're actually properly full go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. And yeah. I think sometimes that can be lost as well. And like I've had I've had that issue before where it's been told, oh, okay, yeah, you're you're full go. And then it's you're full go kind of out of that area going mm. into the strength and conditioning realm. And I think that understanding of the language between those almost two departments. I, I don't think they should necessarily be seen as two departments because it should be kind of merged as one mm. um, to a degree if the communication is good enough. But do you have like a similar language or anything that you use um, with kind of the trainers yourselves and maybe even like the sports coaches to help blend everything together? Yeah, I would say usually like, we're pretty good because like our offices are all like next to each other and we all get all seen to the gym. They were necessarily have to change the language between the ATs and SNC coaches. So when we say like, we'll say like a full a full go in the gym, like they're because define things by stages, I think that helps as well. So we'd be like, oh, they're stage one running, or they're stage two running, they're stage three. They're not hundred percent yet. And then when it comes to speaking to the sport coaches, it's like somewhat similar. We'll go, we'll say things like like in the weight room, they're fine, but they're still not based already yet. But they can they can be out there. They can do some really low level skills, or they can play catch, or they can hit off the tee and things like that. And so I think telling telling explaining to some of the baseball coaches what the player can do just from the get go makes them a bit more positive at where that player's at in that stage instead of being like, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. All they can do is one thing now. Instead of just being like, oh, they can play catch today. Most yeah. most of the time, coaches are like, oh, okay, great. Uh, can you do anything else? Oh, he, he can hit off the tee. Or, like, he can hit in a cage. He just can't run side to side and do, like, the fillers and stuff. Oh, they're great. And they see yeah. it as, like, oh, oh, they see it as, like, they're progressing, even if it's the same thing every day for the next four weeks. The fact that they're out there doing yeah. something, like, helps yeah. a lot. I think that's a big thing as well, just like you said, just getting them outside, being able to do something, and mm -hmm. then – because it is a big psychological element, obviously, being injured, coming for, for, through that return-to-play protocol. A lot of the time, the athlete themselves wants to feel like they're getting closer to being back right. on the court or the field or whatever it is. 
So if, if we can even do, this is what I did with some of my guys, we just took the bikes outside, we took some of the equipment outside like onto the court or onto the court next to where the guys were playing just to make mm. them feel involved with like with the team again almost. You don't want to segregate them, just say, no, no, you're injured, you've got to stay in that corner over there and you yeah. can't do anything. And I think it's good for them to see that um, and it's good for the coach to see that as well. And like you say, the coach actually starts to think, ah, oh, okay, maybe this guy's a little bit closer to coming back than we think yeah. just because he's, he's out on the court now. Like last month, he wasn't even out on the court or yeah. Or, or whatever it is, you know, and it's trying to make and have those conversations to make the athlete feel um, feel like they're actually going in the right direction, especially if you've got someone like like the Tommy John injury, quite a chronic injury, obviously, that's taken a long time to get better, going through your operations yeah. and, and things like that as well. Um, do you just want to, I know we kind of touched on your levels and your stages there. Do you mind going into a little bit of detail just about what those kind of different stages uh, entail on that return to play protocol? Yeah. So a big one on like our, I mean, essentially our like preparation stage two, stage three is just training. So right. like it's just a general like like we're lifting, we're getting closer to running potentially if it's not if it's not a lower limb injury. Uh, we follow like a high low model of loading uh, through the week. Mm-hmm. Um, we get into that like real we call it realization or like actualization phase, and that's where we're almost 100 percent like we're doing change direction work, we're sprinting, we're jumping. Uh, if they're if they're like a uh, pitcher, they're, they're probably throw, throwing more, uh, getting a greater density of throws, more intensity as well, so they build up to throw like a bullpens. Um, yep. That's kind of like a base, the basic principles of it. But if we're going off of like a true like lower limb injury, return to running. So we go like stage one is like our skills and drills process. That's where like that's your pogos, your ankling. Your rhythm A skips. Uh, if they're progressing up, they do A switches, so a bit faster, faster switch in the air, striking the ground harder, so a bit more force. Uh, scissor runs as well. So another thing, it's like high frequency, fast switching, uh, more force into the ground. And then they'll, that session will end with like a set of tempos. So about 60, 70 yards, one rep every minute, like one set of like six. It's like that's usually the first session. Then to at the exit stage from that stage one is two sets of six on the rolling 60 second clock. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's the stage one. But every, before every on field session, they'll always do those skills and drill stuff. That's our basic like loading, uh, tendon stiffness after on feet work. At the so that hamstring guys do that, uh, ACL guys, anybody with a lower limb injury, that, that's their stage one. Then stage two, so to introduce some more. XL cell like component. So we work, we work on work on putting the brakes on. We're putting our brakes off. Like suddenly, everything's not nothing's reactive just yet. It's all just basic. Like everything's predicted. You know exactly where you're going. You're running. You're running 15 yards, and you're slowing down for five yards, and yeah. coming to a complete stop and stuff like that. Uh, we do a bit of shuffles. Everything's still very nothing's reactive still yet. We do a bit of shuffles, some weaves. Uh, a bit like the big like botch drill. People like you like run forward, like shuffle, shuffle lateral, back pedal, things like that. Uh, run ten yards, back pedal ten yards. That's just building that capacity of like change of direction. And the exit stage for that is um, weaves. We still. Session one set of five, one set of six, just like that five. Because the sport like baseball, like your fitness doesn't have to be as much as a sport like rugby or in tennis, so you'll need as much fitness. 
so one set of stitches is enough to maintain fitness qualities for them. Um, so you have to stay short here. It'd be like some more XL work. You're getting that 80% range of like speed and accelerations. And you also, you do ever do all the, all change direction drills with no acute pain afterwards and no acute swelling or anything like that or bruising. And then move on to that stage three. That stage three is true speed work, true at, at, at high, high intensity acceleration work. We're trying to get you to that 90% plus over 15 yards. We're still all, we're always doing skills and drills every time. But that's for every on-feet session, it was just always building up those qualities. I would try to get you within 10% of your match acceleration in 15 yards. Every game for, I want to say it's four reps at that speed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, four, four reps, four reps at that speed, four reps between, obviously, because we're trying to get Matt's intensity. Uh, we may even bring out the speed gates at that point, just to give that almost like stress inoculation mm-hmm. side of it. Um, then once they pass that, that stage three, then they go to stage four, which we don't do stage four for pitchers because the pitchers are never never have to run that, never have to sprint that long. But the yeah. most they're going to sprint is really 10 to 15 yards to field a bunt and then they're throwing it, and that's it. But for position players, especially outfielders, with the cover massive space out there, there's only three of them. Yeah. Um, then at stage four is that match velocity. That's where we're probably using speed gates at just about every session, every at match every like speed session, because we want them to get like that 95%, 100% of, of match speed. And one thing within, ideally within 10%, really closer than 10% of the, of the previous match speed was. And that's where we're working on gears. Uh, sprint, float, sprint, hollow runs, uh, flying tens, flying twenties, and those. That's that, that, that session looks like they get th- three reps at at mat, at mat speed over over forty yards, and like four reps between. And they with and once we look at the GPS, like we have GPS and like catapult, um, look at okay, they're with, they're within less than ten percent of their mat speed. Well, we use we use speed gates. We got real time and so exactly what the time was, mm-hmm. and then after that, they are gone. They are gone. They are full on to full sport. At that point, usually that they're already doing involved in their sport as well, doing some practice, a lot of low level practice and stuff like that. So they're just not playing games yet. Yeah. So as soon as they've hit those three three sprints within ten percent, and then that good to go back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like that. And then. Are you using any just I know you talked about those stages and jumping from stage to, to stage. Is there is there any like quantitative kind of feedback? I know you obviously you had your numbers with the um like the speed, uh, the flying tens or whatever it's gonna be. Yeah. Is a lot of that just based off kind of qualitative feedback? So just like just speaking with the um with the athlete themselves, how you feel and you mentioned looking at um like is there any kind of swelling and stuff like that, any bruising mm-hmm. um dependent it how how are you kind of deciding on them jumping from stage to stage? And are you trying to rush them, not necessarily rush them, but push them through the stages as quick as possible? I don't know how we kind of decide if they're ready right, right from that stage is if they pass that exit criteria mm-hmm. for like stage one. If they pass it, then once they pass that, then it's okay. And we tell them, all right, you, and we also build them up to it. Like the entire process early on, what we're talking about, like, you know, stage one session is this. Like, we almost make it like a big deal. It's like in a way, like like high five, and we're all like really pumped up afterwards. We'll play music like while they're doing it as well, um, and then stage two would be similar thing. We're like our, our end goal for this stage is to do be able to do these drills like a box run, a shuffle, 
I weave and I said tempos after and then feel and have no pain uh, the next day or the day of you know, be pain free through all, all throughout all of it. And still we like always tracking like the episode D cell amount, always tracking their speed, using not using catapult and stuff like that. So that's always really helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's like the way we really kind of progress it. Yep. On that side of it is having those set exit criterias. So you can't go you can't go to stage two until you pass stage one. Okay, I don't know how good you feel, but if you can't do two sets of six tempos at a rolling 60 second clock with two minutes just between the sets at 70% speed, you can't do change direction work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, it's playing, so, it's playing, so it's playing that to them. I think Prince's idea is okay, I need to be like focused and be attentive to this session and like make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I want the PT side, a PTAT side, but also from the training side. Um, I can't remember the other question. Um, so yeah, just kind of the exit criteria and then mm. how you're kind of obviously, well, yeah, linking those and I can't remember what the other one was myself actually, <laughs> but it's all right. We can, we can move on. So I know you mentioned there are actually some tempos and if I'm guilty, I know we've kind of went back and forward over Instagram messaging a few times about the, um, just the, the tempos and some of the running that you're doing yourself. How does that kind of, are you just doing like solely some tempo stuff as part of their aerobic development? down there or, or how, how does their conditioning program typically look and, and what's some of the stuff that you've maybe been playing around with not necessarily only uh within your work environment just personally as well uh so for us from a conditioning point of view not not just like a rehab so we are lucky we have we have watt bikes at every affiliate so we do like a lot of offbeat stuff especially for the pitchers because the pitchers just i go through so, so much low of, of, of their front leg like decelerating and getting that Big lead leg extension, similar forces you see like a triple jump or a long jumper. Um, and so we'll put them off the a good bit. We'll just do a lot, a lot of low level aerobic based stuff first, especially the first like four weeks. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's the, that's the stuff that everyone hates. It's not sexy. <laughs> and like so we'll do some like aerobic power intervals or guys are doing maybe two, three minute runs or like one minute like, and resting like two to one. Which we work to rest, um, but it's all at a very low intensity. They're running at a fifty percent speed because yeah. they just try just just a slow, it's a slow plot really. Like, um, then we'll progress to some like more intense. We'll sprinkle in a bit of uh, like some like some tempos, try to get a bit more elastic stuff in there. Um, for, for the sake of like times, we'll do what we'll, we we'll do for the tempos. We'll do like time. We'll do like fifteen on thirty off or fifteen on forty five off. 20 on 40 off things like that just for the sake of like constraints of like the environment the times you have and like just set up it's like we want you to like having to go on baseball field and milli outfield like walking 80 yards <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like it just just comes a bit of a hassle on that on that end because there's some other things you have to do um and so it's kind of usually how condition kind of springs out we do a, a lot of aerobic work a, a bit of mass stuff for efficient players efficient players they play every day like they usually about get one day off every 13 games, 12, 13 games usually. And okay. so so the off-peak conditioning will be like much shorter. So maybe do like a mass kind of interval or maybe like 20 on, 20 off, or 30 on, 30 off, like that. Yeah. Um, just, just to get some kind of like some kind of like conditioning hit. Yeah. Um, we're doing some a bit more repeat speed stuff, especially for like relievers, the, the pitchers who come in in the middle of the game and they're more – they're doing pitching two innings max usually two three three at absolute most really one and a half to two innings they're pitching 
So some of those guys are just more like repeat speed stuff. That's more similar to what they have to do in a game. Uh, the A-lat, the stuff is more valuable. You get more with the position players because it's more relative to them. Uh, some of the pitchers, after they get past that aerobic stage, I would do some of that because there's a pitch. I would just like a, it's like a pitch every 32 seconds, I want to say. Right. So it's like, yeah, so, real, so really A-lapic. And obviously a pitch lasts like that. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... So that's kind of how we like our condition kind of model words. And then we just adjust guys on feet, off feet, like as needed. Because there are some pitchers who just like, they just prefer running, they just prefer running. Like they the bike's just too miserable for them and you get less, you get less out of the bike because they don't want to do it and they hate it. Yeah. So it's like, those guys like, and they feel healthy running, it's like, we can just run. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's one thing that I've definitely learned over the last few years. It doesn't matter what you think may be the best option is if they don't want to do it, then it's not going to be worthwhile doing it at the end of the day. So yeah. you've just got to be, it's got to be able to be so adaptable and almost like at the end of the day the athlete knows their body best mm. so if i'm i'm talking to a maybe a fifth year guy or something like that and he's like oh maybe i feel like i actually and then this has happened i feel like i actually play better tennis when i play less tennis and i do more kind of weight room conditioning mobility whatever it is he's like i want to come in and see you more in the weight room than i do kind of spend not necessarily total time on the court but yeah. I want to drop one or two tennis sessions per week and actually come into the weight room to make sure my body feels good. Yeah. And that's actually quite refreshing. I think obviously that's something that you, you don't know on day one as a freshman. Yeah. yeah. That's something you learn when you're <laughs> a good few years down the line. And even probably when you finish college, if you want to play pro tennis, that's the type of stuff that you learn. And it's, it's almost, it's one of those things where you still like, it takes some balls to do because you've got to be able to say to say to the head coach, look, I don't think I need to be doing this team practice today or I don't need to do my individual session today. I need to go and spend some time looking after my body. And that definitely takes some balls to do because a lot of obviously students uh, or student athletes, they're wanting to please the coach all the time. But to get the best out of your performance, at the end of the day, you've got to know what is is best for you. 100%. So uh, just just moving on from that, we'll kind of close it up. I don't want to take too much of of your time here. But... You've, you've had a pretty like unique journey, a pretty cool journey. Kind of obviously, you went out to I think you went out to Japan for a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty cool story um, behind that that, I, that I've heard. <laughs> I haven't heard it firsthand, so if you want if you want to share that, you feel free. Um, but my question to you would be like, what advice would you give to a to a young coach wanting to get get into the system, or mm-hmm. not necessarily make it big time or anything like that, but just be want want to kind of better themselves and become a better a better coach. Uh, um, yeah, I guess I'll, t- I'll tell the. I feel like it's coming a bit infamous. And the story's coming a bit infamous now. Like I get asked it all <laughs> I like the time. it. I love uh, it, man. <laughs> uh, so, so, how I ended up in Japan was, I got an internship at North Dakota State under Jason Jason Miller. I, I can't I can't forget his name all the time, so I always now say it. Uh, Jason Miller, who was director of Olympic sport at North Dakota State. Um, before about a week before, I saw. Kier, Kier went a flat, like, rugby strength coach on, like, social media, posted about internship in Japan with Toshiba Brave Lupus. Uh, saw it. I remember talking to my teammates about it. He's like, dude, like, you should definitely, like, you should 100% apply for it. And I was like, I was like, I'm not getting it. Like, I'm not going to get it. There's going to be, like, 200 people apply for this thing. There's going to be people who actually have, like, the degree, who have more experience than me, stuff like that. And I was like, sure, I was, I'll apply, whatever. Get my car, get in my truck a couple days later, drive to 
um, North Dakota State and Fargo, North Dakota from Jonesboro, Arkansas, where I was doing my undergrad and playing rugby at. Like a 15, 16 hour drive to get there. I'm like three days in. I get that my second day there, I get an uh, email saying, like, oh, here's the second part of like the interview process for the, the internship in Japan. I'm like, this. I'm like, okay, all right, sure. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> I'm like really thorough and I take my time and do it. I was like, I made made this for apparently, so might as well go ahead and do my best at this. So sent it in next like a day later, if that. Uh I get a Skype interview with Kier. And I'm like, I'm like, this is no there's no way this is actually happening. Oh, there's no way I even have a shot. Um yeah, I get a Skype interview a uh, day later. And I just pumped three, three or four days into being in Fargo. I had the net, I was the my first official day was the day I left. It was supposed to be my first official day of the internship. Wow. Um, but so yeah, then Kier constantly an email says like, offer me the position. Uh, if I accept, I have I need to be in Japan as soon as possible. Flying to Haneda Airport in Tokyo. <laughs> it's literally like like booked the flight, drove. I've been in Fargo, North Dakota, all four days. Left my rent for that, but I put that somewhere on the counter. Sent an email to Jason Miller at four o'clock in the morning, saying like, basically explaining the whole thing to him, saying like, I'm really sorry. Like, I understand I'm only there three days, but I'm driving back to Arkansas to get my passport and go on a plane <laughs> in Japan. And then, yeah, that's so I drove all drove 15 hours straight. When I drove up there. I like stopped in the middle and all in like Nebraska, but I drove 15, 16 hours straight. Wow. I just just redlining it to get, to get to get back. So literally, I booked my flight for two days later. I, I sat laid in my apartment for a day and a half. It's like part like repacked, packed packed like one bag and like my rucksack. And I was like, it's like I'm on a plane tomorrow to, <laughs> to Tokyo. What, what did the uh, what did the director say at North Dakota State? <laughs> uh, he's he's actually super super understanding. So I'm just, like really thankful. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure no matter what, I probably still came off like kind of a dickhead. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but he was like, yeah, I really, I fully understand. Like, it sounds like an amazing opportunity. Uh, I'd already said before I wanted to like work in rugby, so we were interested. He knew like Kira is someone I put as like, you know, when you apply for internship, and it's just like who could you like follow, like trying to learn from, like influences. Mm-hmm. Like Kira was, Kira was like on that list anyway, so he knew who he was. Yeah, and um, yeah, he was super understanding. Like said like, oh, best of luck to you. Like stay in touch and everything. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, I was and I was in Japan for three and a bit months. Wow! And how was how was your time in Japan? What like what did you learn? What were the key takeaways? And what was the? In fact, we'll, we'll start with that one. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, uh, I, I I loved it. I loved being in Tokyo. I lived in uh, Korea and China before as a kid, and so like I, so being like in, in East Asia, I'm like very very comfortable being a clear outsider. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I love Tokyo. I love like the culture. It's like a fun city. Uh, the boys are really, really good. I remember one, one of the funniest stories that happened that when they went away for a preseason game. And so obviously there were guys that were left behind. And it was me and then that Chris McCann, who's at, and last I saw he was at King's College, one of the SNC coaches there. But um, so it's me. I'm left to do a speed session with eight Japanese players. No translator because the translator's gone with like here <laughs> and the other foreign coach and a couple foreign players to the preseason game. I'm like, all right, I'm not. Well, my demonstration seems to be really on point here because no one knows, fair knows what the hell I'm saying. 
That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think one of my biggest takeaways from uh from a time in Japan, uh, other than like the pure like SNC side, but um aside from like just what you learn in SNC and like from the sports science and like transitional point of view, like a programming side is like work economics. And Kier Kier talking about this is like you only ever only say what needs to be said and all you can say. Yeah. And so I've taken that as an approach to like do it just in life in general, really, but. And coaching has helped a lot, especially even now working in baseball. I do with a lot of guys who don't speak English as their second language. A lot of guys from Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Cuba, and you literally—if you say if you throw every cue in the book at them, they just stop and look at you like uh, I'm not frozen with thought. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Almost like a minimal effective dose, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, li- yeah, literally. That's that's interesting. That's such a good story. I love that. Love that story. And then what was like what how what you've learned from those experiences, which is obviously pretty cool. It's essentially the flip of a flip of a coin, just just jumping on a plane and going halfway around the world. Um, how would you? Or what have you learned from those experiences that you could that you would pass on to a younger coach, like asking for advice? Um, I say always always be open minded and adaptable because. You just never know what things, especially especially in SNC, like things can change change the day of. Like you never know when you know you never 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 know when you don't have you never know when you're not gonna have a job anymore. Like you just and so always be be ready and prepared to like try something different, be open to you, a new sport, new environment, new country. There's sports sports played all around the world, so like there's no reason just to do SNC in one country if you don't have to. For sure, love it, love it. And then just finally, is there any um, any books or like resources that you suggest that's, that's helped you? Um, SNC point of view, I go ultimate MMA conditioning. Uh, they're kind of like conditioning, like nerd. I, I, I like reading about energy system development and stuff. So um, that's a big one for me. Uh, actually, I had actually on my phone the special strength training manual for coaches. Oh, there you go. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's on my phone. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a difficult read. And it's probably like my third time trying to go through it, but it's really good as a resource. Um, applied sprint training, uh, Jane Smith. Uh, what we need is speed by Hank uh, Kreinhoff. I really like that book. Um, digging into uh, Fergus Conley's first book, Game Changers. Mm-hmm. I want want start want starting that. We read into that. Um, those are probably some of my big ones. Super Train's always a good reference book, but man, it's just so hard. It's dense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Transfer Train is another one. Always go, always go back to. Yep. And from like a general book perspective, uh, Economy of Truth. I really like that book. I really, I've read that book in probably like 10 days. Like I just that's like okay. that book. Um, really like more philosophy, like stoicism kind of book. Um Principles by Ray Dalio, the late Dalio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, not even another book. And you got, oh, some, I just, I just you got some good reading, ones though. <laughs> yeah, I just started reading his book, The Last Lecture, which is like literally, which is a, as in, in hindsight, it's a bit, it's a bit of a morbid book to start reading in the middle of like this whole pa- pandemic. <laughs> it's it's about this lecturer who's giving was giving his last lecture, like he has he's like terminal. Terminal like cancer, and he was giving his last lecture to his students, and then he turned it, he turned it into a book and like recorded. It's like on YouTube as well. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's very good. Which kind of like almost well, about almost just like going 
being adaptable and just going for it, really. It's not that much seems to be about. Like, I've, I haven't played down since I started it yesterday. Yeah. Wow. Well, I made a, I made a note of that and, uh, and the other one you mentioned there as well, but definitely some, uh, some good reading materials and advice. Uh, just finally, where can, people, uh, where can people find you if they want to drop you a line? Yeah. Uh, uh, my Instagram is tkennel, at tkennel, like fizz prep. So it's kennel with two N's, two L's. And then fizz prep, like physical preparation. And then my Twitter, where is my Twitter? My career, my Twitter is TK Fizz Prep. Yeah, TK Fizz Prep. So it's pretty much the same thing. And I'm and uh, email tkennel at astros.com. Uh, anyone shoot me email, a DM on Twitter, Instagram. Like I'm open and chatting to anybody all the time, pretty much. Like I, I have to give, I have to give it back because I've done that to a bunch of coaches, including you. <laughs> like I, will, I have, I have no qualms about like about messaging. If there's someone like I'm just doing something, I'm like into you or like. That is someone I want to learn from, like talk to you. Like I'll just see my message on Instagram, like or Twitter. Like, what's it? Obviously, the worst I can say is no, and most people don't say no, so it's fine. So easy to play like, in this day and yeah. age as well, just to shoot it over Instagram. You can see exactly what the maybe the video is that's poked your interest or, or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, that's 100%. great. That's great. All right, well, we'll uh, we'll close it out there. But I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, and um, yeah, thanks a lot. Oh no worries at all, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you.